Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're a show that tackles some tough topics sometimes, and we do a lot of shows on domestic violence and uh, interpersonal violence. And the reason that I'm I'm stumbling over that is because we've had many different incarnations in the definition of domestic violence, in the terminology that we use for it, and we're going to talk about that today. My guest right now is Yvonne Ortiz. She is a training and education specialist for the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, and she's in the Florida office. So welcome, Yvonne. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm happy to be here. Good. And you're down in Florida, so you're probably all warm and toasty. I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and it's a little chilly here. So, you know, we'll you you have to send me some sunshine, and I'll send you some, <laughs> some rain. How's that? <laughs> no, no, leave the rain. rain. I'll send you sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't you can't have things growing unless you have the rain. Don't you want our rain? Um, actually, True, but you know, know, with the recent hurricanes, we've had plenty of rain. Yeah, oh, okay. but All right. yeah, you're not, but you're enjoy not your enjoy winter. your snow. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we had a very wet snow the last couple of days, and it hasn't uh, snowed wow. this early around here uh, for like 75 years. I mean, it's just really funny. Oh, so anyway, wow. Anyway, so enough of the chit chat. Let's talk about domestic violence, or is it interpersonal mm-hmm. violence, or is it gendered violence, or is it intimate partner violence? What are we talking about here, and why do we have so many phrases for it? What has changed? What has, besides the words, why are we coming up with all these terminologies for something that we all, it's like art, we all know it when we see it, don't we? Yeah, yeah, and and let me tell you, it depends on on the services that you're providing. It depends on, on the funders. So that's why we, in a way, we have so many definitions. But in our case, we are working against domestic violence. Uh, our funders, of course, uh, talk about intimate partner violence. But it, and then we also work against gender-based violences. That means that the violence that is direct to, to women just for being a woman. And then when we talk about domestic violence, we're including the violence that happens in the home, not just to women, but to men, to our grandparents, to the children. So that's why it it depends on what what you're focusing on, the definition that you use. Well, doesn't that just kind of water it down? I mean, 30 years ago, uh, bunches of women got together in their in their their coffee clutches and in their homes, and they decided something needed to be kitchen. done, and they provided safety for women who needed a place to go because they were being beaten up. Okay, that's what it was. It was being beaten up. It was being hit. It was being abused. And so we all knew what we meant 30 years ago, or they all knew what they meant 30 years ago, and it was clear. And a man who lays a hand on a woman, uh, whether it's his spouse or whatever, that was not acceptable, and that was domestic violence, and that's what we all rallied around to take, take care of. But now, what is domestic violence? Well, domestic violence is a series and patterns of behaviors uh, that are meant to control, to terrorize somebody. And this could be, you know, from a woman to a man, from a man to a woman, from a son to a mother, a mother to a child. So that's what we're dealing with. Uh, Domestic violence is a series of patterns that happen. It's not a just one-time offense. 
Well, and I kind of want to talk about how our understanding, because how we define it changes how we understand it. And it's clear that 30 years ago when we talked about a man hitting a woman, that was domestic violence, that had to stop, right? Now Mm -hmm. it's much Mm -hmm. different. Now the definitions have expanded. Now we're talking about psychological violence. We're talking about um, uh, elder abuse, what used to be elder abuse. We're talking about violence against transgendered people. Is this helpful? Is it making it more difficult for us to understand gendered violence? I mean, what, what, why all the changes over the, the, few, the, the last couple of decades and is that useful? Is it helpful? Why are we doing that? It depends. You know, it depends. You know, like I said, in our case, we use domestic violence. We use gender-based violence. But if we're talking about legislation, if we're talking about the CDC, they have their own uh, definitions depending on on their focus. So we can say that uh, the CDC uses intimate partner violence and they know it as a physical sexual violence threats or physical or emotional. So they, they have a list of what they consider intimate partner violence. So in our case, we prefer to use domestic violence, gender-based violence, because domestic violence not only covers that intimate partner that it's abusing you. Domestic violence covers the people that are living in the home or somebody that you had a relationship with. It could be an ex-husband, an ex-wife, uh, a child that is in the home. So, yeah, and I can see how you say that. It may water it down. It might be difficult for, for our communities to understand it. But I think it's all based on how uh, we define it uh, or how we view our expertise. Like in our case, we want to focus on domestic violence, but we have another amazing organization that only focuses on elder abuse. So we have some cultural-specific organizations that only focus on intimate partner violence affecting South Asian communities. So uh, it might seem like it's watering it down, but truly we are getting very specific and we're shedding light on, on different issues uh, and intersections. Uh, so that, that's, that's the way that I see it. Okay. Well, we used to think of um, domestic violence or intimate partner violence as being um, between not necessarily a man and a woman, um, but intimate partners. And now you're saying that we're thinking of it more as household partners. Um, if we're talking about grandma and grandpa, or if we're talking about um, at, w- at what point is it domestic violence? At what point is it elder abuse? At what point is it, um, you know, based on sex and sexuality? What point is it ba- based on intimacy? At we- How do we get it all straight? It's hard enough. I, it, it used to be so clear, right? If you hit yeah. somebody, that was wrong. And that was domestic violence. If you hit somebody you lived with, if you hit somebody walking down the street, that was just plain old assault. But if you hit somebody that you lived with, that was domestic violence. Easy, squeezy, let's take care of that. But now it's so all-encompassing. Is it making it harder for people to understand? Is it making it easier for people to understand? Is it making it harder to educate and to um train or um, deal with the the fallout. 
what's the net effect for people who work and try to keep people safe when we have so much included in our definition of domestic violence? Well, the, the thing is this, and, and it's incredible because years ago, we're talking about uh, the law, law enforcement. They would define domestic violence, and this was the definition, uh, violence between intimate partners, and that was it. So what happened with all of these other uh, victims that were experiencing abuse, they were left out. So they were not, there were no provisions or services for them because the definition was violence between adult intimate partners. So let's say, as an example, if you were having uh, issues with your ex-husband, then you would not have the protection because that is not considered domestic violence. That was violence, you know, it's only violence between partners. So that's why the definition has been brought in. And I think uh, it has been very significant for, you know, different organizations to adapt and to change because what we want is for our services to be accessible and for all victims to be recognized. And that that was really important. And, and it's one thing, you know, the definition of family, if, if we look at it, has changed over the, over, you know, let's say, 20 years, 50 years. So so the same way has the definition of domestic violence changed because families look completely different. Uh, Intimate partners look completely different. So we had to change with the times. And I don't think it's harder when we go out into the community to talk about domestic violence. We always make, you know, talk about definitions and share the information. But I think people feel... uh, more connected because they see themselves into the new, you know, into this definition that covers me, you know, if I'm living with my, I've been raised by my grandmother and my uncle is abusing me. So, you know, I think it has been, it has been a very positive impact in the way that people or the community view domestic domestic violence as everyone's issues instead of just, you know, that couple's issues. Well, and we've also changed the definition a little bit. Not only is it just violence, which I tend to think of as physical violence, but it's Mm -hmm. also broadened from that. It's not just people hitting. It's expanded Mm -hmm. so much from that, our understanding. Um, And so now we've just got this great big, huge, huge cauldron full of all these behaviors that are not acceptable, and do we just reach in and pull one out to depend how how do how how is it helping to have expanded our definitions? Is it hurting in any way? No, it's not because if you see you know the one problem that we have with with campaigns promotional campaigns was that years before domestic violence or, or spousal abuse was only recognized by a black eye by uh, a slap a push but then if you start thinking and talking about you know talking with the survivors you see that some of them was not about the slap or or the punch it was about that coercion it was about the yes. threats the intimidation the isolation that fear that that person had you know towards their spouse or their family member. Uh, we're talking the about control. sexual abuse. Yeah, 
the control yeah, psychological yeah. abuse, the emotional traumas. And I, and sometimes, you know, when when I'm in front of a crowd, and especially when we're talking with, with younger generations, they don't understand this, you know, that the power and control or the coercion. So I usually use uh, this example. I remember when I was like 14 or 15, I would go to, you know, school functions. And my mother used to tell me, don't you ever go into those dark corners with boys? That was my sexual education. And and whenever I would go to a party, I could hear my mother telling me, don't you go to those dark corners. So in a way, this is fun, a funny story, but imagine uh, a victim experiencing uh, that intimidation, that control, every time she's listening to that voice. Not from her mother like me, but from somebody <laughs> that's trying to harm in them. You don't do this. Oh, yeah. You're not good enough. You cannot step out of, you know, you are, you are bad. So all of that, we were not taking in, con- in consideration that psychological abuse. We were not taking in consideration the financial abuse, having all these survivors, men and women, working full time and having to come home and hand in and being, you know, living with $10 a week because that's what their abuser were given. And this is an example. So, it's been great because now we're looking at all of the other intersections of domestic violence. We're talking about race. We're talking about gender. We're talking about poverty, homelessness. So I think uh, what we've done, we have accomplished so much. We still have a lot more to do, but we have accomplished so much. And I think talking about the definitions, this is great. That's how we start every training. We talk about the definitions. And we want for everybody that's listening to us to understand and to see that this is not somebody's issue. It's just everyone's issue that we need to, you know, be there and support our communities to make them healthier. Absolutely. So when we're talking about the types of violence, the uh, types of abuse, I, I usually tend to think of of abuse more so than violence because I think that when you say violence, this is my personal opinion, when you say violence, people picture somebody hitting somebody and then that mm-hmm. they just kind of don't have the same mindset for this other types of, of abuse that can be so dar- damaging. That's my, my feeling. Yeah. So I usually try to stick with abuse rather than just violence. But we've started... Mm-hmm adding stalking to that as well. And mm-hmm. I'm never quite sure where stalking goes. I mean, does that go with threats of physical or sexual violence? Does that go with the psychological violence? I mean, clearly physical violence, sexual violence, we all know that that's unacceptable. We all know that that is intimate partner violence. That's family violence. It's it's not, whatever. But then when you get into the psychological or emotional stuff, when you start getting into the threats, you start getting into the stalking thing, then it becomes a little looser and harder for people to, to grasp, don't you think? Mm-hmm. We, we use uh, the wheel, and I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, yeah, and the I wheel is a wheel. I don't, use, I don't use that. I, I find a linear... I, I think the wheel eliminates a lot of a lot of folks. I, I think that yeah. I tend to go more with a linear uh, explanation. It makes more sense for me. Okay, that's my little soapbox for you. Okay, keep going. Well, 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 we, <laughs> no, no, another <laughs> wheel for everything. But what I like about the wheel is that the puts uh, it it shows all the tactics, the control tactics, and you don't see it as as you were saying as sexual abuse, as stalking. 
all of them are tactics that an abuser is using to control uh, and coerce their victim. And that's the image that we need to have. It's not something isolated that I'm just a victim of stalking, that I'm just a victim of sexual abuse. In a lot of cases, a victim is suffering from all of those uh, tactics. So if we see them as tactics to control uh, their, their victim, then we, we are able to understand it better. Uh, as a victim of or a survivor of, let's say, of, of domestic violence, Maybe I'll sit with you, and one day I'll talk to you about, uh, yeah, my physical abuse. But then the next time that I sit with you, I might talk about uh, the psychological abuse, the gaslighting that I experienced. And you say, hold on, but I thought he was only punching you. No, because it's a series of tactics that are used to control that person. And those tactics, are, you know, one of the change. I mean, this this whole show is we're talking about changes, and over the last several decades of how we view this type of abuse, how we view domestic violence. And I think one of the major changes that's occurred in, the, in just the last 20 years is people are starting to do research on this topic. Academics mm-hmm. are starting to do research on this topic. We're starting to get actual quantitative and qualitative data to support not only what we already pretty much understood, but also about the long-term effects of domestic violence. Um, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it is absolutely astounding. You know, recently we did a, a show on the ACEs study. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And um, the adverse childhood uh, experiences and how it impacts for decades. I think that we need an ACEs study on intimate partner violence because I think that the impact of this just continues forever. Um, One of my particular uh, interests academically is long-term effects of Uh uh, having experienced domestic violence. And I think that the the research is starting to stack up that, you know, I mean, really, even if you've never had physical violence, even if you've never experienced that, you have long-term health issues that are associated with experiencing domestic violence. You have things that, you know, behaviors, you have, um, many women have PTSD. Um, several mm-hmm. studies, I, I saw one study, and I'm not going to give you citations because I don't have them in front of me, but one study, <laughs> as many as 80% of women who have experienced domestic violence also have undiagnosed and untreated PTSD. Um, uh-huh. And so you have the, these cadre of women out there in the workforce or whatever who are experiencing PTSD. They don't know why. Um, and we have women who have economic problems. We have women who have health issues. We have women who have psychological issues, even though we don't like to talk about that because that kind of smacks of some victim blaming. You know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, well, if this person mm-hmm. is having, you know, psychological issues, well, then clearly that's why she had that experience. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. She didn't necessarily not have that issue exactly. beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's easy to misinterpret um, some of that stuff. So, my feeling is is that the intimate partner violence, the domestic violence, how whatever phraseology you want to use for it, has really long-term negative effects, not only for the victim but for society in general. Um, mm-hmm. Has that changed? I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way now. I, have have we started to develop an understanding of the comprehensiveness of? experiencing domestic violence? I mean, it used to be like, well, if he hits you, um, you just get up and leave. That's that. You wipe your hands, you get over it, you move on, and you forgive and forget and make a good life for yourself. 
as the decades have passed, hasn't that 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 view has become almost absurd, hasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, and and we've done. I mean, we've done a lot. We have many accomplishments in the violence against uh, and the violence against women movement, but we still have that social perception that we need to work on. And you mentioned it, victim blaming. We're still hearing that question whenever we see it on the news. Why is she still with him? Why is this? And it, oh, she's a better woman, you know. So we're still dealing with that. And that's what well, we're trying as I, advocates. We're trying to, to change. Well, and I think I saw that many years ago when I first started you know, doing work in this field. And I realized that you would, a, a victim, you know, I don't care whether it's a, a fundraiser or a, for an organization, I always say they dust off the victim and trot her out to talk about the horrible things mm-hmm. that she had happened to her. Yes. And yes. then the audience goes, oh, oh, that's terrible, and they get out oh, their checkbooks goodness. and they mm-hmm. give. You know, and you know what I'm saying. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a homelessness or, you know, health care issues or whatever. I mean, we, we do that because it's that individual experience that, that we want to share with the, the most, people who yeah. are eating the lunch or eating the dinner. You know what I mean? Um, but the problem with that is that in my experience and, and what I saw very early on is you – as a victim, can talk about one or two or three incidents, outrageous incidents that happened to you. And the audience is going, oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. When you start, start talking about number four or number five or number six, they start getting uncomfortable. And when you get to number 10 or 11 or 12, and you could be covering one day in your life of, of abuse, mm-hmm. the audience is starting to go, ah, that sounds there's I don't know that's fishy there maybe there's something she's doing that just doesn't sound right and mm-hmm. I think that so often uh in our efforts to share you know these personal stories that sometimes we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot with that does that just my own little peccadillo or do you see what I'm saying about that well no I I see it definitely but you know you know what we did we developed this uh this guide for public speaking. And one of the the tips that we give survivors is to, to be very strategic in how you present your story. Because even though, you know, we have programs out there or, or nonprofits that just, you know, like to have somebody to tell us that story, it's important for the story to share, you know, how resilient you are, what helped you, what motivated you. So we are changing, and we need the voices of survivors because this this movement yes. is driven by the voices of survivors and by the, their needs. And so it's important for us as advocates to guide them to better use, you know, to to help them better use their voice. Uh, yes. So it's, there are many resources out there. We're very proud of the, this this. Uh, toolkit called from the front of the room. It gives a lot of tips, and, and, and like I said, one of them is that you need to show resilience. You need to share with them exactly, you know, because yes, people like to hear a sad story, and they want a happy ending. With domestic violence, sometimes there's no happy endings, you know. But exactly. you need to show them that it can be done. My life is not perfect, you know. I didn't accomplish everything that I wanted, but I'm alive. And I'm alive because, 
you know, my community supported me, just as an example. So it, it's important. But we need those voices. And everything that we knew, well, that we do at the National Resource Center, we try to include the voices of survivors via webinars. The, uh, we just had the series on why I'm an advocate. We had a lot of survivors sharing their story. So it's important, not only because it moves us, but reminds us why we're doing the work. Well, what I have noticed is that more than almost any other, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a category, any other affliction, I mean, what do, what do we call that? Any, any other, you know, experience that people have in life? I, I think that survivors of domestic violence really have this urge to try and help other women. More mm-hmm. so than even, you know, alcoholics always, you know, want to do something, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that domestic violence survivors, the ones that I have seen and the ones that I've experienced, they really feel like they want to get out there and do something to help the next woman. Have mm-hmm. you ex- seen that? Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it's it's something that as women we have. The other day I was asked what what inspires me. And the first thing that came to my mind was the women in my family. And I'm talking about, you know, tons of generations of Puerto Rican women that were very strong. Their lives were not perfect. They suffered. But at the end of the day, they were there to lift up another woman. And that's, you know, that's how we are as women. And as survivors, yes, they, they went through this. And some of them, I used to, I used to uh, facilitate support groups every Thursday night. And I remember them saying, you know, I wish that somebody had said something to me. But you know how we are when we're younger. We, you know, you can have your mother saying something, and we don't listen. But when you have somebody that it's your age that that you connect with, telling you, "I've been through this. You can do it. You know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be hard." That makes an impact because you're listening. You're listening to somebody well, that has walked through that path. Absolutely, and you bring up something that I, I has always bothered me, and I, this is my guilty secret. I'm going to verbalize my guilty <laughs> little secret. Go ahead. Why are we, as young women, so... We, we like to think of ourselves as strong. We like to think... And yet, mm-hmm. when it comes to intimate relationships, I see so many young girls who are apologizing for bad behavior in their partners, who are, uh, you know, I, I just see it over and over again. I, I'm almost thinking, is this something biological? You know, I mean, is something controlling us besides our, <laughs> our brains here, you know? Um, because I see young women, like young women in high school. I mean, I, it, my my kid's school a few years ago was having a hard time because they found out that girls were giving boys oral sex in the hallway Mm-hmm. during break classroom breaks and i just mm-hmm. was outraged by that and i thought good lord basically are willing to do this even though they're do not anything. getting a darn thing out of it except risk <laughs> and yet you, you know exactly. what i'm saying i mean yeah exactly. I, you cannot conv- i'm sorry i'm going to be crude here but you cannot convince me that sitting on your standing on your knees in a hall, school hallway no. you know it, yeah. it's that they're those girls are not getting a thing out of that um, and exactly. yet they're willing to do that instead of saying, get lost. And, and, and I'm think thinking, you know, there's no, I, I cannot tell you it's because, you know, a, a specific cause, but it's maybe the way that, that we are socialized. Uh, you know, 
please men. That's what our girls are seeing on the on the TV and social media. You need to be a pleaser. We are also fixers. We want to fix our men. We want to fix our children. We can do everything. When, and then we forget about themselves, about ourselves, about what we want, about self-respect. And, and tell me, tell me, Heather, you know, models out there, who are our role models right now? I'm always oh, thinking, yeah. what's happening with the next generation? Where are the women that we look up to? You know, yeah. what we have out there is just not not a good role model for our girls to follow. Yeah. So well, you can say that yeah. for every generation. For I mean, I mean, who's who are the role models for old women? Helen Murren and jo- Jane Fonda. Tell me, mm-hmm. when was the last time you saw your, um, you know, your great grandmother looking like Jane Fonda? When was the la- I mean, who who's the role models for you know middle aged women with children? It, it's. It, they're they're all so unrealistic. I I recently saw um, oh what uh, ARP ARP magazine, and their mm-hmm. cover models are like they're they're all like super women. They just happen to be fifty, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? What where are the people that are just managing their lives and know they haven't had a facelift and know they don't get the mani-pedi every week and know they, you know, who are our models? And I think you can say that through, you know, for young women especially, but all the way through every every decade for women, who are our models in the media? And it's like almost impossible to find a realistic model. No, and the thing is that sometimes we, we get lazy, you know, we just, Oh, absorb me. the information no. that is given us to us, you know. And I'm thinking Maya Angelou, when she died, when she passed away, I was thinking, oh, my God, who is going to be the next Maya? And I'm thinking of women from back home, you know. Uh, I could remember Camille Carrion. There's, there's several Silvia Rezat. They didn't have, uh, Silvia Rezat didn't have a perfect life, but she lived and she was such a strong, you know, woman for for generations to come. So, you know, it's it's for us to look beyond what it's been served to us and seeing those real women that are doing the work that are out there, you know, that are not perfect, that don't have perfect lives. Uh, some of them, you know, just love and have passion for the work that they do, that it's not giving them a penny, but it's their life. And I think, you know, I, that's something that I always think about. I need to find more role models for myself and for my girls. Well, I, I agree with you, and I feel that way with me, too. You know, as I'm aging, I'm thinking, what, how do you do this? You know, I mean, how, yeah. do, you, how do I turn into an old woman? Because I don't <laughs> see anybody really, you know, who exemplifies that, other than, you know, exactly. like Jane Fonda's, and I'm going, you know, I mean, Jane Fonda's yeah. got me beat by my ears, no. and I didn't look that good 20 exactly. years ago. So, I mean, you know, clearly yeah. she's not a good fit for me. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think that it's, um, we're kind of straying here from the domestic violence thing, but I think that if we had those role models when it comes mm-hmm. to these issues of abuse in our lives, I think that we would all, as women, be much better off. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how, how we fix that. I don't know how we fix it. No, no. And, and, yeah, we're doing a lot of work, a lot of prevention work, and we're going back to, you know, grassroots and how we started. And it's important for us just to go out there and talk to our girls and talk to our boys. We need to talk to both and let them know, you know, especially if we're talking about the Latino communities, we come here to the United States and there's a pressure to assimilate. And our children, as an example, 
uh, their first language is, is English. When, you know, we need to go back and let them know it doesn't matter what your language is, but you are a Latino and your family comes from Mexico, Ecuador, or Puerto Rico. And that's what you are. That's who you are. Because I think our kids are losing, not just the Latinos, but all of our kids are losing uh, who they are. You know, we, we're living so, we get so busy in our daily lives that we forget to connect with our family, to talk to our children about our ancestors, about our culture, and everybody has a culture. I hear all the time, oh, I love your culture. I don't have a culture because I'm, you know, was born here. Everybody has a culture. Everybody has values that we pass on. You know, we need to just, well, we need to turn off, turn off technology and sit down and, and, and talk. Well, you know, one of the things that I do with my children, because I, my, I, my family, I've been the last man standing in my family for a really long time. I was very young when they were all, they all passed away. Mm-hmm. And so my children, I have always felt obliged to tell them about Aunt Pat, tell, her, tell them stories about yeah. Aunt Pat. And, think, yeah. you know, so they get to know her, even though she's no longer with us, you know, to tell about mm-hmm. Grandma and Grandpa, even though they're no longer with us. And um, yep. when my kids got to be teenage, you know, I would start to tell them the story, you know, like, oh, and the you know, like that's the time that I tell the story how Grandma set the Christmas table on fire. You know, and I would get the <laughs> eye rolls. You know, I would get the eye rolls. Like, yes, you've told us that before. And finally, I took them aside and I, I said, you know, you do understand that I realize I've told you this story before. I'm not flipping gears. I remember <laughs> that I have told you this story before, but I am going to keep telling it because the more mm-hmm. I tell it the more you will absorb it and the more you will be able to tell it to your children. So don't mm-hmm. give me the eye roll because you've heard it before. Just sit back and listen and be happy that you're hearing the story again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, yeah, I, I, think that, um, I, I think that in today's world everything moves so fast that we don't want to mm-hmm. share. You know, one of the things that my mother never did with me uh, is tell me about her experience dating or her experience mm-hmm. with men. Um, and, and I wish yeah. I had heard of those things. Um, and we, we tend to just kind of keep it secret. I don't know whether, mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's changing mm-hmm. or not. Um, but especially when it comes to domestic violence, I think almost every woman I know who has experienced some act of domestic some, violence some sort, yeah. feels mm-hmm. that somehow or other, first of all, she was to blame, and secondly of all, she's the only person mm-hmm. that's ever happened to in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of understanding and that, is, that it's a very common mm-hmm. experience. It's a common experience. Is it? that's, that, I think that's part of of how we, again, we're socialized, that things like that, you don't talk about it. You know, it's embarrassing. You were to blame. If you were a victim of rape, it was your fault because of what you were wearing. So this victim blaming needs to stop. You know, and that's one, one of the things that we're working really hard to change. Let's yeah. change the way that, that we view uh, a survivor. You know, let's just change the conversation. It's hard, but I know that it can be done. And we're starting with with young kids, just starting that conversation. And and us as mothers with our daughters and with our sons. I have two daughters and a son, and I talk to them about the work that we do, my experiences. I've talked to them about dating, and my husband does too, what we, you know, what we went through uh, yes. about uh, self-esteem, all of that, but, I, you know, but sometimes I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Sometimes, you know, you forget The mine are older now. And I continue, you know, I try to have that conversation and they're like, okay, we know. But, you know, you need to continue you need to open those channels. And I think 
we have so many girls and boys out there that don't have role models that feel like having a relationship, it's kneeling down at a yeah. school during break, you know, and that's having well, a relationship. It's also important to be talking about these, you know, violence and, and abuse experiences as well because I think that many women, when it happens to them, they are gobsmacked or they mm-hmm. they don't recognize, you know, some of the little hints of what's to come because, you know, I, I they they haven't lived it before. But if they can hear mm-hmm. some of this stuff, if they can hear other people's stories, you know, uh, we we can learn from that. Oh, wait a minute, Judy's husband started doing this, and then, yeah. you know, he he turned really bad. So my husband is not mm-hmm. doing this. Is this something that I have to mm-hmm. do? Do I need to pay attention? Is this going to continue? Is this going to accelerate, or is this a one-shot deal? Mm-hmm. You know, I I mean, I think that sharing some of these stories and experiences are really important. One of the things mm-hmm. that also seems to have changed in our discussion of domestic violence is social media. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's a different, that's a whole different ball of wax here. How has that changed our understanding, our um, work, and our um, uh, efforts to create understanding of domestic violence? You know that I see it in a positive way. Uh, of course, there's there's bad but the way the work that we do we we're very strategic in all the messaging that we put out there and and the images that we use the webinars that we host the campaigns that we develop because we know that there's terrible messages out there of what uh uh, being a fe- an example, being a feminist is, is something negative. So then we go out there okay, and we yeah. try to explain what that is. Uh, there's that connotation of what being a strong woman is. Uh, so what being a real man means. I mean, it's if we if we don't work ourselves and go into social media and and put our voice out there, the messaging would be terrible. So all of the programs now we have we have a lot of webinars on engaging audiences through social media and developing campaigns because we know that everybody is being bombarded by social media. So well, in a way, way it's been now. Yeah. go ahead. Well, and the way that I mean, it's not it's just so all encompassing. I mean, young girls mm-hmm. who you know are attacked or whatever, and then as if that's not bad enough, you know, days later it's uh, it's on YouTube. It's you know, I mean, it's just yeah. so all encompassing. Um, yeah. What you know, I mean, it's a whole different aspect to domestic violence that previous generations mm-hmm. haven't had to deal with. Yeah, the bullying is terrible. Yeah, it could it could be a private thing, but there again, maybe that's a good thing. You know, look at the hashtag Me Too uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's no longer quiet, quiet, quiet. You know, it's out there on yes, social media, and nobody has to say anything. Nobody has to repeat their story. All they have to do is, you know, hashtag Me Too, hashtag mm-hmm. Me Too, and mm-hmm. so you get a sense mm-hmm. of the numbers and the quantity. Um, so maybe mm-hmm. it's a good thing as well. Um, yeah, it, it depends how you use it. Yeah, well, that's that's a story of life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on how you use it. Um, yeah. But 
Um, what are you seeing as far as trends in the research that's coming out right now? I'm seeing, and I'm very happy about this, some research more into the long-term effects of domestic violence. Not a lot, but a little bit of research is coming out where we're realizing that, gosh, just because she divorces him and lives through it, Everything is no, you know, the, and, and now this is hunky-dory and your family wants you to get over it and move on. They don't want to hear about it anymore. They, you know, forget about your brain pathways changing. That doesn't, that's irrelevant, you know. I mean, you have to, it's all rainbows and unicorns now, you know. I mean, I have a friend who was widowed and it was the same thing for her. That people gave her like three, four months and then if she expressed sadness, then she was just wallowing in it and she needed to get over it. And I mean, we're so intolerant of... Mm-hmm the need to process, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've seen I, a lot of, of work done on mental health, and you're, you're talking about that. And, and I'm happy. Uh, I'm excited because before the research was very, very limited. And now when you go to a, a conference, a domestic violence conference, you see that they're always talking about traumatic brain injury, about uh, PTSD, you mentioned it, and so, so many things that before – there were not enough. Uh, there was not enough research out there, so we were not having those conversations. And another trend that I'm seeing, and we were so excited to be involved in a project funded by the Office of Violence Against Women of the Department of Justice. It was uh, uh, serving male male victims of domestic violence. There's not enough research out there, so now there's a little bit more funding uh, for our researchers to start looking into this because the men are being abused too and they were not seeking services, we thought it was just, you know, it was non-existent. We're also okay, seeing a lot of... Okay, you've hit my heart Okay, button, go. Still, <laughs> yes, of course men are abused. My father was abused. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly aware that it happens. However, it's not 50-50. It's not, it is still oh, overwhelming. No. Male on oh, no, no, male no, 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 no. I mean that that no, that I'm I'm with you, of course. Oh, the yeah. larger number of, of, of victims are women. About, yeah, every time we talk about this, and of course we need more research and everything. But then there's this impulse. I mean, I I, I had a conversation not too long ago with somebody, and I said something about well, women who are abused, women who are abused, and he said, well, men are abused, abused too. It, it happens to men too. Yes, it does, but not nearly to this mm-hmm. extent. So no, 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 no. I'm going to talk about no. the 90 percent of people who are the victims of this, and not that you exactly. should do research, not you know. Uh, but I do find that you know, whenever we do the men are too, men are too, men are too, it does tend to chip away a little bit to the huge disproportion that of it's, women who have experienced abuse. And it has been like that. And we are, I think, as a movement, we are still afraid that the conversation will turn, that the funds will turn, and we would lose. But on the other side, we are receiving funding that says to provide services to all victims of, in our yeah. case, of domestic violence, even if it's a, a 10%. And yeah. uh, I feel like we need to be prepared, and we need to encourage our men, our great men out there that are doing the work, and train them and help them have their own services. Because we are... We struggle to open the first shelter. We struggle to, you know, to enact powwow. We were, we had men alongside us that were helping us. So that's what we want for them, not to take over. 
to be alongside us and to take care of the men, of the boys in, in the community that are being abused. They can do it. They can do it. And I, every time I go out and if somebody asks to, you know, for us to present on, on male victims, I don't come by myself. You know, I don't have, I'm not an expert on that. I bring my colleague, Eric Stiles, that has done a lot of work with men, and we do it side by side. Not one knows, you know, in front of the other. No, we do the work side by side, and that's the vision that we have. We want to provide services to all victims, but 90%, yeah, exactly. 85%, whatever percent, it's women. This is gender-based violence. We started this, this, this movement, and we don't want to lose it, well, and we are not going to lose it. Well, thank you. Um, and th- and that's not to say that other victims should, you know, male victims shouldn't have resources as well. They should. But yeah. I think that yeah. I, I personally get really, you know, when when it's always the <laughs> uh, men are too, men are too, men are too. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Much lesser degree. In a lot so of, when we're talking oh, stories, definitely. Let's, let's put our money where yeah. the action is, you know. Um, that's we're, how I feel about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 No. So, and and we have advocates that you talk with them, and they they feel you know they say I I joined this movement because I wanted to to help women to work with women alongside with my women, and now you're telling me that you know men can. But that's another conversation. But yeah, you know, eighty five percent, ninety percent of victims are female, and that everybody needs to to understand that. Well, exactly, exactly, um, which is not to say that those 5% shouldn't have some resources. But I know I, I haven't been involved with a shelter around here for a while, but I know that maybe, eh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, there was a big to-do because a man had a, uh, appeared at a shelter and wanting wanting shelter. And, mm-hmm. you know, many of the women who were, were there, you know, were very threatened by the, I mean, they, yeah. at that point, you couldn't even bring a teenage boy with you if you, yeah. you know, were escaping uh, abuse. And so here's this man just, and I don't remember how that, that worked itself out, um, but everybody was really afraid that if we, re, you mm-hmm. know, turn this guy away, you know, there's going to be lawsuits and, you know, all this other stuff. And, and it just takes away from the, the work of trying to protect protect women who are victimized so it's it's difficult when we're talking other areas that we need to get a little update on here is domestic violence and its impact on children now i've seen mm-hmm. more and more research coming out i think you'd have to be pretty much clueless to not realize that if a child grows up in an environment where there's domestic violence they are going to be impacted by that and impacted severely mm-hmm. however What are we doing about the kids who are growing up with domestic violence? And that's one of the things that that I've seen. Now more and more domestic violence programs have uh, children's services. They have a specific department for children, for teens, to come and receive uh, counseling, to participate in children's groups, to, you know, receive the therapy that they need. And that is something that's really important. Uh, programs, domestic violence programs are also going into the schools and, you know, talk. they, they go and talk to the kids and, and start yet that conversation just to identify who needs more services, who they need to, to engage more. So that's, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk on resilience of kids and, and how uh, they're they, they are able to thrive even if they went through, you know, domestic violence. 
uh, they, ex- they were secondary victims of domestic violence. And I wanted to tell you a story. I One time uh, I was called into uh, the house of the survivor. They, they had an incident. I think it was like 1 a.m. And I'm talking to the officer. She was taken to the hospital. And I say, where are the children? And he tells me, oh, no, no, there's a little girl here. She's not here. No, no, there's three children. Where are the children? And the husband was already in custody. And he goes, like, there's no more children here. And I said, they had, they had to be in the house. So I walk into the room. They were completely asleep. So I grabbed oh one gosh. of them. I had to kind of, you know, shake her, touch, touch her, and ask her, please wake up. They knew what was going on, but their mechanism, defense mechanism, was just to either pretend or to fall asleep completely. And it was incredible to see. These kids have been secondary victims of this abuse. They were seeing it, hearing it. They live in a trailer home, so it was a very small space that they shared. And they knew what had happened. They heard the police, but they were asleep. So when we talk about the impact, we need to remember people tend to say, oh, no, the kids are asleep or they're too young to know. They're listening and they're experiencing. And that was one of my my uh, lessons, biggest lessons, that those kids were there. They were sleeping, but they were not. They were completely yeah. traumatized. And, yeah, and what they were, we did they as a program, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were protecting yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah. So it's, amazing. Amazing. A lot of work. Oh, God, yeah. And, and, you know, going through everybody, uh, one of my other pet peeves, I'm just giving you all my pet peeves today. You're going to collect these and (laughs) respond to me later, right? Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) I mean, you can just write write these down and get back to me later. Um, (laughs) Out of work. (laughs) Assumption, um, you know, that you should just leave. Well, just leave, you know, if you're mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, my my favorite three questions there, you know, the first one you already said, why doesn't she just leave? Clearly you should leave. Mm-hmm. If somebody's treating you badly, just mm-hmm. leave. What's wrong with you? And the second one is, why doesn't she just take him to court? When, in yep. fact, courts are so awful for women, of you know, mm-hmm. who are, are, have been abused. I mean, they, you, mm-hmm. oh, oh, my gosh. I mean, absolutely you should do everything that you can to avoid court with, you know, with these situations. You could lose your kids, you know. Um, And then the third question is, well, why doesn't you just get over it? You know, (laughs) just get over it. Move on. Forgive. I like that one, too. Forgive. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Did anybody ask Mm -hmm. for forgiveness? You know. ah. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So my... three biggest pet peeves are those those three questions you know of um and when we're talking about domestic violence when we're talking about these issues i see that we mm-hmm. have a great understanding about physical violence i think that we've really done as a society wonderful work in the last 30 years helping people understand about physical violence but all of this other stuff the more subtle stuff the long lasting stuff i I don't know how understanding and how um, knowledgeable the average person is out there in our society. Do you see that? Do you mm-hmm. think I'm just a naysayer yeah. here? No, 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 no. No, I, I see it completely. I see it. <laughs> you can tell me that. It's okay. I mean, I'll hang up on you, but it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It's, it's it's incredible because those those are the questions that we always see that we know that people are thinking about, even if they don't express it. And and it's incredible to think 
that just by living in safety. And, and it's, it's incredible because it takes so much more than living in a relationship uh, for somebody to be safe and to be able to, to, to live, a, you know, a healthier life. A lot of the women that I have worked with, they don't, they don't want the abuse. They want the, you know, the abuse to stop, but they don't want the relationship to end because we forget about one little thing and that's called love because yeah. they are, you know, this is, this is, they're, you know, the, the love of their lives and they feel like he's going to change. This person is going to change one day. And I'm, you know, I'm willing to take this on because I love this person or, you know, some other cases, this is the only, you know, uh, the financial means. They don't have any financial means. This is a person that works, that, you know, she has a roof over her head because of this. Yeah, he's abusing me, but I know what's, what's, what he's going to do tonight. But if I'm homeless, I don't know what's going to happen. So we forget about all of those. Kids? Is it better for exactly. kids to be in some sort of shelter or to be in some sort of low-income housing? Or, yep. you know, is that really better for my kids? Or can I manage this? I mean, it is such a complex thing. It is such a complex so thing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I usually ask people, those, you know, w- you when know. they say, oh, my God, but why doesn't she leave? Imagine yourself having 10 minutes to come into your house, grab a couple of things, and leave. Would you be able to do that? What would happen to your pets? What would happen with your, you know, photo albums, anything that's mm-hmm. dear to you, you have to leave because they give you 10 minutes to grab things and run. Of course, if you're yeah. lucky to return to your home after a protective order, that's different. But at that moment, yeah. would you be able to do that? You know? Well, and not only that, so, but, you know, you mentioned the love, but there's also you have built mm-hmm. a life. Now, this aspect yes. of it has gone wonky but you've built a life. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a home or mm-hmm. an apartment. Maybe you have family nearby. Maybe they do or they don't know yep. that he's nasty. Maybe they, you know, I mean, you have a life, and this is one piece of that life. At what mm-hmm. point do you rip out that entire life because of this mm-hmm. piece? At what mm-hmm. point do you, and, and I was, you know, I mean, when I was young, I would say that too. I would say, well, if any man ever, you know, hit me, I'd be out of there. And then I got married, and not that I was ever hit, but then I got married and I realized, whoa, there's so much more (laughs) than just picking up and leaving when you've built a life together. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. And and I I don't know if this this is one of your pet peeves, but I'm just going to say, what about religion? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I don't have any pet peeves about religion. No. but, But some religions, you know, the interpretation that it's, it's oh, a yeah. popular interpretation. They tend to think that. You yeah. Well, I'm, I'm losing you. I'm, I'm looking at our clock, and your, I think your cell phone oh. battery is starting to go. I, I hope not, but I'm definitely losing you. And I think that, um, you know, when we're talking about religion, I mean, one of the. One of the studies that I read said something like 75% of all women who experience domestic violence seek counseling from their clergy person first. And yes. only 8 mm-hmm. to 10% of clergy people have actually had any kind of training in domestic violence issues. And mm-hmm. that's any kind of training. It could even be bad training. And mm-hmm. so, it, it, you know, it, it's a huge, huge issue. 
Um, and uh, you know, so there you go. You know, I mean, yep. where do you, where do you go? Where do you go? So I'm looking exactly. at our clock and I'm going, gosh, where did this hour go? But it did go. Uh, I really appreciated just touching base with this conversation again. I think sometimes, you know, we get all hooked up into you know something that happened in the news or some new mm-hmm. law that has passed or some new politician that has made a statement or whatever, and we lose. Um, we lose contact with just some of the basic stuff um, that keeps us interested and keeps us informed in the area of domestic violence or intimate partner violence or gendered violence or whatever terminology you want to use. Um, and I, I really appreciate this conversation so that we can kind of touch those roots again and, and say, yep, yeah, okay, it, this is why we're doing this. Did I perhaps miss a question that you would have liked me to have asked during our conversation, Yvonne? I think we're good. I think we got. I, I love that it was a candid conversation. I love that we talked about your pet peeves, and I just love <laughs> that you took the time to talk about domestic violence. Uh, that you know, uh, we know that October is National Domestic Violence Month, and it already passed. But this is a conversation that we need to have all year long, not just during one month. And I thank you for that. Absolutely. And I think that the important thing about this conversation is that we have it ongoing. And it's such a complicated topic. 30 years ago, he hits her, he's out of there, easy, squeezy, done conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple anymore. It's not that simple. And there's good things about that, the fact that we're sensitive to other ways that people hurt each other. But it's also complex because how do we deal with it all? How do we embrace it all? How do we improve it all? I thank you for the work that you do for the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, and I would like you to come back to the show again sometime, and we'll we'll delve into some of this again. I would like to, we didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about diverse populations and whether that makes a difference in our understanding of domestic violence, but that's a whole show in and of itself. So come on back, and we'll have another conversation. And I come, I'm sure I can come up with some more pet peeves. I, I'm pretty sure I can. <laughs> I would love to hear them. I would love to hear them. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Avon thank you, Heather. From the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, uh, scheduled or set, situated in the Florida office, where you've had to contend with uh, a number of hurricanes, but no snow, okay? At least no, no snow. snow. <laughs> Please <laughs> join us again next week. Three women, three ways, and we'll have a. Good-